Good evening and Christian greetings to all of you. It is special to be here with you and to see where Marita is investing her time in her students. She is uh, really enjoying the privilege of uh, of serving, being able to teach school. It was a dream for her and it seemed to fall in her lap. It didn't take her long to say yes to the, uh, when she was asked, which I was a little surprised how fast she said yes, but it was on her heart. And so, good guess. Um, and so it's also my privilege to have my family here with us tonight. And um, I don't always get to have my family with me when I go somewhere, but it's a special privilege to have them come. And, of course, visiting where Marita is at is, uh, is special. I've been doing a fair amount of traveling here lately, especially this fall. Um, and so I uh, need to pack quite often. And, uh, and so when you pack pretty often, um, your tendency to forget things becomes more readily. So I generally wear a suit when I preach. But we forgot my suit. <laughs> so if you'll bear with me, I, I feel more comfortable being warm in a suit and also dressed up. Bless you, Todd, for that uh, devotional about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. I have a cause. I have a cause. And that cause is to do whatever little bit I can to build the kingdom of God. And if this is one of those opportunities, I'll take it. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within each one here tonight. And if we can some way in these few meetings build the kingdom of God within you, the cause has been furthered. So if I, by the grace of God, could somehow encourage you within your heart to seek God's kingdom in a deeper, fuller, richer way, I've then furthered the cause. We pray, Thy kingdom come, and Thy will be done. I think that takes place within. Within us, and as we seek to further the cause, we're all part of that. I believe, too, that the Christian life is a, is a walk. Oh, we do have our mountaintop experiences But most of the time, our lives consist of a walk, a steady gait. We should not be hopping from experience to experience, as thrilling as experiences are. If we hop from experience to experience, I think Scripture talks about it being like waves of the sea that are driven with the wind and tossed, and it's not stable. I know that the Christian life is also compared to a race in Scripture. But if you know anything about marathons, which I know very little, I have a nephew who runs in marathons, you can't always keep up a 100% or even 90% effort or you'll wear out. There's got to be a steady pace. 
a few verses out of Scripture. Wherefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. A walk. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And in 1 John, And he saith, He that saith, He abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. So I hope I've convinced you that the Christian life is a walk. We're not looking for a big experience. I don't believe in this weekend. I want to just encourage you in your walk. So I tend not to be a dramatic, hellfire, brimstone type. I would rather nurture you along. I think in, as I study some history and I look back, there were those times in times past where those revivals served their purposes, perhaps. I think they had some of their downfalls, and we suffered some from those. But I think there's been somewhat of a shift. Um, but I would say that I, I too, am on my own walk. My own walk with God, I have my own joys and sorrows. My own strengths become my weaknesses. My journey has its ups and downs. And I struggle to believe the way I wish I would. But I walk with my Savior, and He is my Lord and my King. So therefore, I believe that the Lord has something for us, something that He wants to say to you tonight. My only hope is that I can communicate it. Now for the message. Awe, awe is a feeling of being in the presence of something or something vast or beyond human scale that transcends your current understanding of things in the world. So says psychologist Dasher Keltner. Awe is a feeling that is mixed with respect and wonder. You might recognize awe as that spine-tingling feeling when you gaze up on a clear night at the Milky Way. Or you might recognize it as the wonder that you feel as you Young dads, feel the first curl of your newborn around your pinky. Or you might recognize it as the amazement as you walk up for the first time to the rim of that vast chasm known as the Grand Canyon. 
According to author Paul Scott, the feeling of awe may be the secret to health and happiness. If you want to buy that or not. 2.5 is the average number of times a week that people feel awe. 75% of awe is inspired by the natural world. Now, we Christians, we connect awe with the power, the might, and the creative ability of our everywhere present and sovereign Almighty God of the universe. Jesus said in Matthew 5 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are on the breathless adventure of seeing God in everything. The pure in heart are on the breathless adventure of seeing God in everything. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, would that we would be pure in heart, single-minded, so that our sights might be clarified. Because we ought to see you. See you in every blade of grass, in the procession of the stars, in the ups and downs of human events, and in our own heart when the door to the closet is closed and we make an encounter with you. Would we see you see you. Teach us what it means to be pure in heart. And then I'm satisfied. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Psalm chapter or Psalm 24. There aren't chapters. Psalm 24. David is describing the individual that would be pure in heart. In Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah.
I think this psalm begs us to ask. This psalm begs you to ask, how pure am I? How pure is your heart? What does it mean to have a pure heart? And then how does the pure heart see God? You know, in Scripture we are commanded in some very straightforward terms to ask our hearts some questions. And one of those times is when we come to communion time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this, the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let him examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The cause of a lot of spiritual sickness is the undiscerning heart that will not look at itself and will not discern is there impurity there. Now let me take you to some healthy thinking from Scripture. And here is why we would seek to be pure in heart. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This kind of a scripture is the kind of a scripture that we should not only believe, but we should learn how to think this kind of scripture. Now, on cloudy days I don't do very well I, uh, the sunshine today driving over here it was great it was wonderful it was awesome I don't do very well on cloudy days um, the dark clouds seem to descend upon me and I need to think healthy things I need to think healthy things like this kind of Scripture. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon me, even on cloudy days. I need to be able to get those issues that cloud my eyes away from the front of my face and to think about the love that the Father has bestowed upon me and I have been called a son of God. The apostle here in this passage addresses the believers as the beloved. 
but beloved, cherished people, dear brothers and sisters, set this in your minds, that we are now the sons of God. And we only have a small window into what that means for the future. But we know that when the Lord comes back, we will see Him as He is. Now, if we have this understanding firmly, have a firm grip on it, we understand that I am a son of God and that someday I will see Him face to face, that kind of individual who has that understanding, this Scripture tells me that if you have this hope in you, you will do your utmost to purify your heart from the impurities that would defile it. If you are convinced that you belong as a son to the Heavenly Father and that someday you will be changed fully into His likeness, for you will be in His presence and you will see Him face to face, your goal, your drive, your longing will be to become pure. Pure. Pure even as He is pure. So what's purity? What is purity? Well, an impurity is something that ruins the uncontaminated nature of something. Pure means it's uncontaminated. If someone accuses you of impurity, they think you or your nature has been spoiled some way. And generally by sin. I have with me what is claimed to be on this container 100% natural spring water, pure quality. Now, if I were to offer one of you young ladies a drink of this water, would that be fine with you? I mean, I won't embarrass you and ask you to do it publicly. But I would assume you probably you wouldn't have a problem taking a drink of this water. Is that correct? Okay, there's a few shaking heads. They wouldn't have a problem taking a drink of this water. Okay? Now, would you like to have a drink of this water? And then they wouldn't want to have a drink of this water. You don't know whose hands I shook before we came in here, right? You don't know what I touched before we came in here, right? My wife told me I shouldn't take a drink now either. <laughs> that water that was pure was now impure because of whatever might have been on my fingers. Well, I'm from Minnesota, y'all are from Wisconsin, but we take these trips and we head for southern Ontario and when we drive through and we drive through Wisconsin and we go into Illinois and then Indiana and we drive into pure Michigan. <laughs> Why do you laugh? Yeah, we all kind of snort at that. What makes you more pure than we are? Well, there's a certain sense of virtue in purity. And the world recognizes it. 
I um, and people look at at someone who is untainted by sin as a as a pure person. I um, I attended public school and I graduated from public school and my standards of purity were well my parents were trying to nurture them so I held a standard of purity and my classmates knew it and they actually taunted me about that they recognized purity I could have told them that I could become like you in five minutes you see there's a value on purity and the world recognizes it But we all reckon that there is a problem. And Jeremiah told us about it. He said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart left itself is that way. I I believe in the cleansing work of the cross and we're going to get there. I believe Jesus cleanses and he purifies. We can be cleaned up. We don't need to have that desperately sinful heart anymore. I trust. I know. But that is the way the heart naturally is. And I think we, um, in order to appreciate the light and to appreciate the goodness of life, we need to see some of that darkness. Um, those of you who've traveled to foreign countries and, and away from the good life in the U.S. and you see the devastation in other countries and the war-tornness and the, the depravity of humanity. We see what depraved nature does. <clears throat> Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born with a heart of flesh. Born to go its own way. I don't believe we're, sh- we're born with a sinful nature, but we are born with a bent towards sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it is that impure heart that must be cleansed. And in the Old Testament, we had to, there was a remedy. There was a remedy. <clears throat> the remedy was the sacrificial system of the blood of bulls and of goats. And you know that Old Testament system actually worked. It did. They were able to find cleansing for the impurities of their hearts through those offerings. Psalm 51 verse 19, And then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous. With burnt offering, with whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. In Malachi 3, 3, And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. Their old system actually worked. But now we are told in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 to 14, can read it there. For if the blood of bulls 
and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Are you in that process? That process of purification? Is the blood of Christ and His willing sacrifice cleansing you each day closer and closer? The old fleshly nature, is it dying? If that old system, which Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 talked about, for the life of the flesh is in the blood... And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. If that worked to cleanse away sin, to change lives, to purify, to bring out holy living, if that purified the flesh that was so so prone to sin, how much more Jesus, who is the Spirit of the eternal God who offered Himself up willingly, a willing sacrifice without spot and pure. Thus, this price of the willing Son of God will purge the willing conscience to then serve the living God. <clears throat> this change is best illustrated by testimony. I want to share with you a testimony of a well-known man who I think you will soon recognize. And this is in his own words. I write to you the truth in Christ and lie not. In the year 1524, being then in my 28th year, I undertook the duties of a priest in my father's village. Two other persons of about my age also officiated in the same station. The one was my pastor and was well learned in part, and the other succeeded me. Both had read the scriptures partially, but I had not touched them during my life, for I feared if I should read them, they would mislead me. Behold, such a stupid preacher I was for nearly two years. Those two young men whom I have mentioned and myself spent our time daily in playing, drinking, and all manner of frivolous diversions. Alas, as is the fashion of and the way of such useless people, when we were to treat a little of Scripture, I could not speak a word with them without being scoffed at, for I did not know what I had asserted. This shows how hidden the Word of God was to my understanding. At length I resolved that I would examine the New Testament attentively. I had not proceeded very far in it before I discovered that we were deceived. Through the illumination and the grace of the Lord, I continued daily to examine the Scriptures and was soon considered by some, though undeservingly, 
As being an evangelical preacher, everyone sought my company. The world loved me and held my love. Yet it was said that I preached the word of God and was a fine man. Afterward it happened. Before I had ever heard of the existence of the brethren, a God-fearing man, pious man, named Six, Six, uh, Six Snyder was beheaded in Leavenworth for being rebaptized. It sounded strange to me to hear of a second baptism spoken of and examine the scriptures tirelessly and meditated on them earnestly. But I could find nothing in them concerning infant baptism. And this is the testimony of Menno Simons. And he says, I realized that we were deceived. But the life of Menno Simons changed little. I spoke much concerning the word of the Lord without spirituality or love, as all hypocrites do. Eventually, <clears throat> Menno Simons was hit with a final crisis. <clears throat> 300 violent Anabaptists at Munster, dreaming of the imminent end of the world and attempting to escape persecution, cap captured a nearby town, and they were savagely killed by the authorities. And among the dead was Menno's brother, Peter. And Menno says, I saw these zealous children, although in error, willing to give their lives and their estates to their doctrine and faith. But I myself continued in my comfortable life and acknowledged abominations simply in order that I might enjoy comfort and escape the cross of Christ. Thus reflecting upon these things, my soul was so grieved that I could no longer endure it. I thought to myself, miserable man, what shall I do? If I continue in this way, I will not live in conformity to the word of the Lord according to the knowledge of the truth that I have attained. If I do not rebuke to my best of my limited ability the hypocrisy and eminent carnal life and perverted baptism, if I do not show them the true foundation of the truth, neither use all my powers to redirect a wandering flock to the true pastors of Christ, how shall their shed blood Though shed in error, rise against me at the judgment of the Almighty and pronounce sentence against my poor, miserable soul. My heart trembled in my body. I prayed to God with sighs and tears that He would give me, a troubled sinner, the gift of His grace and create a clean heart within me that through the merits of the crimson blood of Christ He would graciously forgive my unclean walk and unprofitable life and bestow upon me wisdom, spirit, candor, and fortitude that I might preach His exalted and adorable name and the Holy Word unperverted and make manifest His truth to His praise. I began in the name of the Lord to preach publicly from the pulpit the word of true repentance. And for the rest of his life, Menno Simons and later his wife and children lived in constant danger as heretics, he traveled throughout the Netherlands and Germany, writing extensively and establishing a printing press to circulate Anabaptist teaching. And he took the Bible extremely literally. And we benefit today from his life and testimony of that changed life. You can find, the, find this uh, confession of Menna Simons all over the internet and on the front pages of the complete writings of Men of Simons. I would to God that we could all experience this kind of purifying of heart.
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So what are, what are the impurities of heart that we're talking about? I'd just like to get a little more specific here this evening about what we're talking about here. And most of the time, if not all the time, our impurities begin in our thoughts. Our thoughts are our hearts. They represent our hearts. So what we're talking about here, we're talking about thoughts of resentment, of hate, or dislike. We're talking about thoughts of jealousy or of envy, self-centeredness, or negative, negative thinking. Rehearsing past hurts, critical attitudes that put others down, or regretting failures to the point of self-pity, giving in to pleasures, idolatry, or worry, the cares of this world, and riches, lustful sexual thoughts, mentally creating intimacy without a commitment of marriage, harboring mental images that are not mine to have. These are unclean thoughts. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, <coughs> idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is so opposite from the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is pure fruit. We can't go wrong. Vastly different from the impure fruit of the flesh. But you know, if you're caught in the web of impure thoughts. If you could identify with any of those that I have mentioned, <clears throat> and you know, today with our the use of our smartphones and technology, it is so close to us. It is so close. It's but a few swipes away to get on a site we're viewing things that we never would ever have dreamed we should have viewed or have seen. Second Timothy two twenty one. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel 
of honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work. If you purify your heart, if we purify our hearts, we are then useful to the master. But the opposite is obvious. That when we are not purified, we're not being purified. If we don't, if we don't, and we're continually caught in a web of impurity, we'll be greatly hindered in our usefulness. In fact, will endanger our soul. Now I understand struggle. I'm not saying that we can't struggle, for we do. We are wearing feet of clay. But I'm talking about a web. I'm talking about being caught. I'm talking about being um, in such a shape that we've, we've become passive and we, we really need help to get out. James 4.8 Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. <clears throat> you can make confession to the Lord. And you should. That's good. And that's right. But your confession will be complete when you make it before men. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There is great strength in brotherhood, in accountability, in being able to go to your brother. I'm not always talking about a confession made in front of church. There's places for that. But I think confession made from brother to brother, sister to sister, there's great strength and power there. I'm encouraging taking great drastic action over impurities. Jesus was really plain about that. Matthew 5, verse 28, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart already. So if your right eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is more profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Jesus is using this illustration as a figurative one, but one that because if I took off my one hand, I can still sin with the other. If I pulled out one eye, I can still sin with the other. I've always understood this best. Jesus is saying, take drastic action. Don't live with impurity. Take drastic action, overcoming this this sin of lust. Remove from your life and out of your reach. Those things that would lead you to impurities. Walk the other way. Don't look again. Set up accountability. A place where you report. Realize. Realize that some indulgence leads to more. The best way for me to learn to think about this is that that when the fence is crossed, when you cross the fence and you had to push the wire down to get across, 
it starts to sag. You cross it again, and it sags some more. The more often the fence is crossed, it sags. That's just like our conscience. The more often we violate our conscience, the more it sags. No, we need to be building up our conscience. Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believers in, conver- in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. <clears throat> Again, here's the promise. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 21. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel of honor sanctified and meet for the Master's use and prepared to every good work. God is more interested, I would say this to the youth, God is more interested in your maturity than He is in your ministry. Because out of your maturity births ministry. If you focus on becoming pure and mature, God's able to use you. You don't have to go to ministry. It comes to you. Because you just automatically do acts of ministry because out of, the, out of your maturity, what's growing? I believe that's what this Scripture is teaching. That if a man purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel to honor, sanctified, and meet for the Master's use, ready to be useful to every good work. The pure in heart are on a breathless adventure of seeing God in everything. God shows Himself to the pure in heart. The pure in heart can see Him in the creation in all of its fullness. I think we as believers can see and stand in awe of creation. We have an ability because we know how it got here. We know who made it. We're acquainted with Him. We can see it in every blade of grass, in every delightful flower, in the magnificent hue of the sunset, in the night full, filled with stars, light years away, the moon within its loyal orbit. What individual is suited better to experience the awe of creation than those who believe in the designer that sustains all of it? This is my Father's world. And you know, as we purify our hearts, that connection becomes stronger with Him. This is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand, the wonders wrought. All the pure in heart see God in the Scripture as well. They don't doubt what they read there. They believe every page. They're grateful for the revelation. They're grateful for the asserting sword of the Word of God. The pure in heart do not have hidden sin that separates them from God. The pure in heart also see God in the church. They rejoice to visit God there with others who also see Him. They see God at work in the lives of their fellow members. They see the 
hands of God in the service of their fellow servants. They see God in the corporate prayer and the singing and worship. The pure in heart see the character of God. The pure in heart see the character of God in the might of a thunderstorm. His faithfulness in each sunset. His promise with each rainbow. His security through the night watches. His love through His many blessings. And His wrath through the consequences of sin. The pure in heart see God by the fellowship they have with Him. Because they walk with Him. They're never alone. They abide under the shadow of the Almighty. They have access to come with boldness to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. In conclusion, the pure in heart know that they will see God face to face someday. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Would you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we've been thinking about a few of the things that it means to be pure, pure in heart. Oh Lord, you said, blessed, happy, fulfilled, secure are those who are pure in heart. For they will see you. And I just know, Lord, that there's hearts here tonight that long to see You. I long to see You without the haze of impurities. Just a few moments here of quiet meditation. It's like for us to ponder the words of Scripture that we've read here tonight. Are you in the process of purifying your heart? How clearly can you see God in everything? And are you engaged with the struggle of purifying? Or have you become passive to the impurities that linger there? I just urge you, encourage you not to stay there. Find a brother or sister. Confess before God. Impurities that may linger there. That you may experience the usefulness that you, and the potential you have to be useful for the Master as you learn how to become pure. Heavenly Father, let's pray for the individuals here that have listened attentively tonight. You, uh, you be the great shepherd and bishop of their soul. Draw them close and may they find the answers 
that their heart may be asking for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat>